Hey everybody, this is your host Matt Castellini and welcome to Chicago Capital. Alessandro, Alex, thank you so much for joining me on Chicago Capital. Really appreciate you guys taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. This is a pretty historic day. It's my first ever two-on-one interview. And it's also, I mean, there's we just got a lot of domers going on in this podcast right now. So this is excellent. The audience might get sick of Notre Dame by the end of it, but I'm, I'm excited to have you both on for that reason as well. Yeah, exactly. Go Irish for sure. <laughs> so yeah, just kicking things off, I, I would love to hear about the background behind Halo, you know, kind of the genesis of the company and how you guys sort of arrived to where you are today. Yeah, happy to. And this is Alex, by the way, but I guess that the easiest version of the story is pretty integrated with our own faith journeys. And so I'll start kind of with with my own faith journey and meditation journey and all that jazz. But so so I was raised, I was raised Catholic, but fell away from my faith pretty heavily in high school and college. Really, the only extent to which I engaged with my faith was my mom dragging me to mass. And that was pretty much it. And then as soon as I was able to think for myself, decided that it was not what I thought was true. Um, I went to Notre Dame. And so the Catholic world was always kind of a part of my life. And Alessandro, one of the co-founders here with us, is um, was much more theologically adept than I was at that point. And so he had some convincing arguments here and there. But I, I still would have called myself probably agnostic or atheist for most of high school and college. I got into the real world, started working and was became fascinated with this idea of meditation. And it wasn't so much that I had like a really pressing stress or anxiety problem. I guess I was stressed or anxious like anybody is, but nothing that I was really trying to solve. It was much more a fascination with whatever contemplative, meditative, spiritual life was. And we can get into this later, but I did not initially think of the great Christian mystics when I thought of uh, meditation. So my mind first went to kind of Eastern spirituality or secular mindfulness, meditation, yoga, that type of stuff. And uh, I was about to go to India for two weeks to try to learn how to meditate, ended up finding Headspace. It was the really early days of Headspace, which is one of the big uh, mindfulness meditation apps, and along with Calm. And I used Headspace for a while and I thought it was a really awesome tool. I thought it was a great way to learn this technique in the comfort of your own home. 10 minutes, you have a kind of guided meditation leader who just teaches you how to meditate in this technique. But the strangest thing started happening. I, I, every time I would meditate, which is in mindfulness meditation, mostly just focusing on your breath, my mind would feel pulled towards something spiritual, something faith-based. And I thought that was very strange. My faith was not an important part of who I was, and I still probably would have called myself agnostic. The But it just kept happening over and over again. Whenever I would stop distracting myself with Netflix or YouTube or thinking about work or worrying about relationships or any of that jazz, my mind would be pulled towards something spiritual. So I started asking priests, brothers and sisters, folks, friends who I knew who were deeper in their faith life, Alessandro, a bunch of a friend in the seminary, monks, the question of, hey, is there any intersection between this meditation thing and this faith thing, because I feel this weird pull between the two. And they all pretty much laughed at me and said, yeah, we've been doing this for 2000 years, at least you probably should have heard about it. It's called prayer. And, you know, I had obviously heard about prayer before, and I tried praying before, I, you know, the, in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or the things that I memorized as a kid, or the, hey, thanks for stuff, rattle off stuff, sorry for stuff, rattle off stuff, help me with stuff, rattle off stuff. And, and, not to make fun of those prayers because they're they're deeply powerful if you if you do them in the right way. But to me, they always felt like I was just going through the the motions or just journaling in my own head. It, it never felt like I was there was any type of relationship. And so I started learning 
all about these really deep contemplative meditative prayer techniques and meditation techniques within the church tradition, which I had never heard of before. So things like Lexio Divina, Benedictine spirituality, Ignatian spirituality, and the examine, chant, Carmelite spirituality, and prayer of the quiet, or recollection, all these things that were just really fascinating. So I'd, I, uh, I opened up scripture, randomly Googled how to do Lexio Divina, which is, you know, meditating on a word from scripture instead of your breath, and then using that to start a conversation with God, and there's a bunch of steps. But the core of it is meditating on a, on a word or image from scripture. And randomly opened up the passage where Christ teaches the the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallow was the word that stuck out to me. And it, it um, I mean, that, that experience just changed my life. It brought me to tears, brought me back to my faith, changed everything about what I value, changed everything about what I do. My, it, it, it's tough to put into words, but it was, I guess the, the way I describe it, it was kind of this beautiful combination of this really deep sense of peace and like, you know, you get the stress reduction from meditation or working out or whatever, but it, it was kind of, the, I would argue, a deeper sense of peace, but this, this sense of really deep peace, but combined with this deep sense of purpose, like, what do you, what does hallow mean to make holy? Okay. Is God, is Jesus making God the Father's name holy? Is God the Father trying to make me holy? Am I letting him make me holy? Am I helping other people grow in virtue? Am I serving other people the way that I should be in really stressful questions? Am I making the impact I want to make? And the answer to most of those questions was no. So definitely stressful at that point in my in that point in my life, but kind of wrestling with it in this in this deep place of peace. So anyway, that that was kind of the original idea for Hallow. I think we started working on it from there. I coded the first version of the app. It was terrible. Our engineer deleted all my code and built a better version. But you know, that was kind of the first version is hey, we found this kind of beautiful, life-changing content that can help us find peace amidst the stress and anxiety of today's crazy world while also helping us grow deep in faith, hope, love, and, and all the, the powerful parts of, of religion and, and the Catholic world. I, I think the last thing that I'd say is that was kind of the initial idea, which is kind of starting with this contemplative meditative technique. And I think what we've walked into in a sense is I think a, a bigger idea, uh, which is, you know, I think the story of the meditation world is generally headspace. The guy's a Buddhist monk takes something that was spiritual in nature and makes it uh, secular. And pretty much everybody in Silicon Valley copies them, doesn't copy them, but builds a very similar thing. And there's like 3,000 meditation apps. And it's not that big of a market, honestly. It's there's, uh, you know, maybe the, the there was a CDC survey, but so the data is kind of all over the place, but like 15 to 20% of folks meditate. And so what Calm realizes, hey, we got to expand. So we're going to expand into this broader mental health space. And so we're going to build all this mental health stuff, invest in Express Spa, Headspace is going to go after fitness. And it's a much larger market. So it makes a ton of sense. And for us, the idea is, well, what if we could use uh, meditation and the mental health benefits of, of meditation as a jumping off point back to where Headspace, come from, Headspace comes from, obviously specific to the Catholic world, but back into the faith world, which I think is uh, way fewer people are doing, way fewer pe people, way fewer people are trying to build something in that space. And I think there's a way larger need. I think the latest survey that we had was you know, 75, 80% of people in the US are praying every week. Now those are not clustered in Silicon Valley or Chicago or New York, but it's just a huge, is a huge opportunity, I think, for us to help folks grow closer uh, to God in their faith and to find peace in their life. So that's, that's what we're excited about. It's about two and a half years old or so, but we've been super blessed and just humbled to be a part of what is definitely, uh, definitely God's journey. So has, has been fun so far. I don't know if, uh, Sandra, if you wanted to add anything to that or your own journey, but yeah, just just quickly on the personal side. So to juxtapose the two, I think having grown up Catholic, Catholic grade school, high school and, and college was always kind of very attuned to my faith. And I always believed it strongly to be intellectually true, bend towards, you know, if anybody comes from the faith side, somebody like a Thomas Aquinas, who is a super, you know, intellectual genius. Uh, and just like if someone like that 
comes up with with all of these great ideas to explain it and and dive deep into it, it, it must be true, but never had a deep sense of personal spirituality. So always had this kind of segregated part of my life that was faith, going to church on Sundays, professionally went down the finance path, started in banking in New York and then private equity in, in Chicago. And, you know, catching up on the weekends with Alex, full disclosure, was, you know, best man at his wedding. He was a uh, co-best man at mine. So, you know, we're talking a lot as, as friends with you know, my now wife, his wife. And you know, I was working, you know, the seven days a week, 90 hour work weeks, finance grind and was just stressed. And as he was going through his headspace experience, recommended it to me and, and I tried it. And I found it really helpful in that, you know, obviously super physiologically healthy for a human being to sit still and breathe deeply. Um, but also unexpectedly for me, these deeper questions related to kind of like, what am I doing with my life kept up, crept up in that space and, and wasn't addressed. So I just stopped using it. And a couple of months later, Alex is going through the journey he just described. And, and, you know, we're having dinner at my apartment on a Sunday night and just ask, you know, you know, how did you learn how to pray? Like, you know, uh, when's the last time you learned a new way to pray? And so I started going on all these you know, things and realized, A, that the repertoire wasn't super deep, wasn't super wide, and there hadn't been anything new in a long time. And so as, you know, Alex was discovering these things, started incorporating into life and was really life-changing for me from a, like, how do I actually ask the question of what should I do with my life, which I hadn't really consciously done in a long time. And, uh, you know, one, one Sunday night, Alex finally just asked the question, why don't we just go help teach the world how to pray. And so we're like, all right, let's do it. I love that. There's so much to unpack there. I think one thing that struck me, Alex, while you were talking about your journey, I think it's one that's quite typical, at least on the meditative side. So I, I myself can say that, you know, coming out of college, you know, I, I just wasn't really prepared for the real world and the rigor of it. And I turned to meditation and you, you see sort of the increase in popularity and the increase in usage or the growth of a calm and a headspace. And part of me wonders your journey of, I want to find a way to quiet my mind. I want to find a way to meditate. And that leads to sort of almost a religious experience. Do you see that as one that many hallowed users go down as well, or that many users who first initially approach meditation from a non-religious standpoint find themselves gravitating towards religion, almost as an on-ramp back to religion. Is that a common journey that you've seen through your time as a founder? Yeah, we see it all the time, pretty much every, at least every week we get some note that is, is, you know, something along the lines of, Hey, I've fallen away from my faith, either from, you know, three years or 30 years and found my way back into, back into church and back into my faith and back into the full beauty of what we would describe as the the Catholic religion through kind of the spirituality. And I, I think it hits on that being said, we have, you know, a ton of people who come and who are already super deep in their faith or praying every day and, and use it to do the rosary on the way to work or any of that jazz. But there's, there's a ton of folks who are very similar to my journey. And I think the way that, you know, I, I talk about it is the, I think, especially in the Catholic world, there's kind of two halves to it. And I think over the last at least 20 years or so, 10, 20 years, the church has done a lot better job of leading with, you know, the real truth of the faith, like Alessandra was talking about Thomas Aquinas and all the really deep theology. Uh, so it's not just, hey, what, you know, this old man in the sky who judges people. It's, it's, there's, there's this real depth of philosophy and theological thinking behind all of these, all of these uh, beliefs. But I think there's, you know, the other half of it, which is kind of, I would say, leading with the truth of the faith. And I, I think the other half of it is leading with the peace and the spirituality of the faith. And if you look at 
if you look at any of the data on what folks are doing or what they're saying, that it's almost all negative for the church, which is a sad story, at least in the United States. Mass attendance is way down. The number of people who call themselves religious is way down. Now, in the Catholic world, it's actually a little bit better than in pieces of the Protestant world, but still a, a downward sloping line. And I think the the thing that gets us excited is that, you know, I think it was the percentage of people who call themselves religious in 2012 was 65, and then it was 55 in 2017 on Pew study. But it wasn't replaced by atheists and agnosticism. It, it was replaced by uh, spiritual but not religious. And so you have this whole swath of people who are interested in spirituality, whatever that means, and but don't want to ascribe to a particular religion. When you ask them, you know, hey, why don't you want to be religious? It's almost always you jump straight into the uh, politics or the the difficult questions that people wrestle with or the, you know, crises or any of that stuff, uh, which are super important. But I think when you go and you when you talk to people who are super religious, like you go and you go to a church in the middle of the night and there's somebody there sitting there praying and you ask them, hey, why are you here? Their answer is, well, because that's God. I'm talking to God. This is my spirituality through God. It's it's usually not, uh, although Alessandro had a different experience, usually not, hey, this is Thomas Aquinas' five proofs, and so this is why I'm here in the middle of the night. And so what gets us really excited is the opportunity to lead, which I don't think is being done a ton, but the opportunity to lead, instead of saying, hey, I know you disagree with these teachings, which this is why we teach them for ABC reasons, which is a super important thing to do really well. Our idea is, what if we could lead with, hey, we have this relationship with this guy who has changed our life. My bet is that he'll change yours too. You should try talking to him. Yes, in a very structured way, using scripture and using all the right techniques so that we're, we end up getting to the same place, but leading with the spirituality. And I think that's what folks are most hungry for, at least like folks in, in the younger generations. So that's that's what's gotten us us really excited about the work at, at Hallow that we've been doing at least. Yeah, just to throw one metaphor on that. I mean, I think one of the things we talk a lot about when we talk to, to pastors and, and leaders in the faith community is, Blockbuster didn't go out of business because people stopped watching movies and TV, right? Like we watch more TV and movies now than ever, but the way the world experienced content changed and Netflix refused to. And so I think the data Alex alluded to demonstrates we have this deep need for to ask these big questions about life. You know, what is my purpose? Does God exist? I think the there've been a couple decades of significantly suboptimal approach for answering those questions by various institutions in, in church. And I think we're trying to bring a, a way that focuses on those core central needs, you know, like jobs to be done, your classic business school, you know, stuff here to find peace, to find meaning, to find relationship and using those as a way to build into the community and, and experience of institutional church. Not to build off one last time, but we get each other going here. But the, uh, the last thing that I'd say is that the, fun, so I was in Silicon Valley for you know, two and a half, three years or so. And nobody's, nobody's religious in, in the Valley at all. And I know uh, I, I, not to, not to interject, but yeah. I don't know if you've seen the show Silicon yeah, Valley, but there's an entire storyline about this exact topic. I was going to bring up at some yeah, point, but sorry, definitely. keep going. The episode is hilarious. But I mean, you ask anybody and, and you'll say, are you religious? And they all say no, but you ask them, are you spiritual? And they'll say, yeah, well, I meditate or I do whatever spiritual activity that, that they want to do. And then the question that I used to ask back when I was exploring this was, you know, hey, okay, so let's assume you meditate using whatever secular technique you want to use to meditate. You're alone in a room. There's no other people there. Are you the only thing there? Or is there something else there? And everyone will say, no, there's something else there. I know that there is. Absolutely. With that, there, I, I didn't run across a single person who didn't say that, where there's something else in the room with them. And my, the, the big thing for me was just, okay, well, that should change your life. 
there's something invisible there that you can only uh, notice when you're not distracting yourself with all this other jazz and you meditate and it brings you this deep sense of peace. What is that? And I think the, the cool part about Catholic spirituality is it has such a depth, whereas secular spirituality or secular meditation kind of has to stop at, hey, we're going to do this thing for our own mental health. Catholic spirituality can really be in religious and, and faith spirituality can really dive into that question of what is that other thing in that in that space with you? How do you get to know it? And that's, I think, the, the piece that gets us at, I mean, it changed my own personal life, obviously, so it gets us really excited. When you were at the very earliest stages of product development, you mentioned that you were speaking to people, you mentioned that you were living in Silicon Valley, but who were sort of at the very early stages, that ideal sort of customer profile, who were you looking at? Was it the people who had fallen out of sort of the religious methods of their childhood? Or uh, was it people in Silicon Valley who you were trying to say, this is another, you know, option for you, another vector through which you can achieve some sense of calmness? So I guess, who was your first target customer profile? Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating question. And I'm not sure we did, you know, we didn't do like the textbook business school approach to customer uh, discovery or any of that jazz because the, I mean, the first product was just us building something for ourselves. So like when I was building it, it was for me, I wanted to learn how to meditate using these different types of techniques. Now, my story is obviously somebody who had fallen away from their faith and came into it. And it was super important for me to have something that was 100% authentically Catholic, that was rooted in church teaching, that wasn't like calm with a Jesus flair on it, but was actually whatever the church had been practicing for the last thousand, 2000 years, and to try to learn those types of techniques of prayer and contemplative meditation. The, um, now we had probably a team, it was, I don't know, Alessandro, maybe like five or six folks who were working on it at that point. Two or three of them were super deep theology folks who were way further along in their spiritual life. Alessandro already shared his journey. And, and we had a handful of folks from different places and we were all kind of building it for ourselves. And so what ended up, I think, really coming from that was, we ended up building something and we continue to try to do this, which is something that can be a resource for folks like me who you know, may have fallen away from their faith or don't take their faith super seriously, but also somebody who's doing a holy hour every day or goes to daily mass or whatever it is or plays the rosary every day. And so there's, there's a lot of pieces to the, and, and frankly, you know, in, in terms of volume, if you type in Catholic, we're the uh, first thing to come up, thanks be to God, on, on, in the app store. And so the people typing in Catholic are typically the people who, who take their faith more seriously than others. So we probably skew uh, heavier towards the folks who, you know, attend mass regularly, although we have a, a huge swath of folks who are kind of discovering us organically. Those folks are just like the me's are just more expensive to reach because they're the ones that we have to reach out to who are on Spotify instead of, you know, whatever Catholic media it is. And so, or who aren't actively searching for a Catholic meditation app. And so, you know, we kind of have a bunch of these different personas. And I think the big thing of Halo and the really nice part about an app is that you can build something that has a personalized journey for each person, depending on where you are in your faith journey. And so it works for me now. I've been doing this every day for a good chunk of time every day for three and a half years or so. And it, it still is a super useful and valuable tool for me and was right at the beginning when I was just starting, I couldn't sit still for more than five minutes. So, you know, that's kind of the, the there's, not, there's not really one particular persona that we're building it for other than just just ourselves and as many people as we can to, to learn how to grow closer to God. Yeah, I think if you want to think about like, what was our XY axis where we were like in the empty upper right hand quadrant, it was, there's a bunch of great technology out there. Not much of it's focusing on faith experience. There's a bunch of great faith content. Historically, not great technology investment in there because of legacy kind of people raising donations and trying to do the best they can with something small. And so bringing those two things together to bring the power of personalization and digital experience and algorithmic approaches to recommendation and things 
to really solid eternal content that should be powerful to anyone. And so that was the general idea. And I think it's manifested in a much larger vision than we would have expected in terms of ages, personas, backgrounds. I mean, if you'll go to the app store and you'll find five-star reviews from an 80-year-old grandmother who's super excited she found something that her grandson or daughter will use with them to pray. And then you'll find a 24-year-old agnostic who's trying to figure out, is God real? And it's, um, it's pretty powerful. You mentioned eternal content, and it, I'd love to break down a little bit further what exact features, what sort of courses, what meditations are available on the app. And then maybe we could talk about what are some of the most popular, you know, if I'm a user today and I download this app, what's going to be available to me right away? Yeah, I'll, I'll paint the big like library picture and then Alex can talk about the popular stuff. In kind of ministry world, one of the big monikers recently is like meeting people where they are is like this new kind of best in class approach to ministry in their own life, what they're going through. And so that's exactly what, how we take an approach to content roadmap. And you read scripture, it tells you you're supposed to pray without ceasing. Well, that's pretty intense. And it's unlikely that the right approach to that is going to be one of three things every second of every day. So the idea is content for every aspect of your life that you could, so that you can experience that part of your life with God. And we do that in a couple of different ways. Stuff is building daily habits. How do you just get in the rhythm of prayer? And so we have a section on dailies focused on different prayer techniques, whether it's meditating on the daily gospel, reviewing your day with an exam and praying the rosary, stations of the cross, whatever. So that the daily traditional experience of faith. Then we have a, a section called playlists, uh, playlists of prayer, organized by kind of theme. So you might not have the language of prayer type, but you know that you're really stressed and you want to offer something up to God or you just had a really big interpersonal conflict and you're trying to forgive that person, or you have a big decision on your mind, how do you faithfully discern through that question? And so if you go there, you'll find things like love, joy, hope, humility, gratitude, forgiveness, making decisions. And within each one of those topics will be a bunch of individual prayers using the different techniques that you don't even need to care about. Just pick the topic, how long you want to pray for, a voice that you like, press play and go from there. So that's the main structures. We also have a bunch of Bible content focusing explicitly on scripture. We have guest content, kind of more educational from people like priests and bishops and different influencers on different topics. And so that's the big buckets. We also have music. So we launched music as a, as a new category a couple months ago, actually around Christmas. And I think that's one of the people often struggle with the silence of, of meditation. And I think music is a really powerful way to stay centered and in a prayer or meditative experience. And so we have over a dozen albums of curated and original content with some awesome religious artists. That's an amazing walkthrough. Alex, would love to hear in your mind what you think are some of the most popular features on the app today. Yeah, I mean, just it, de it depends a little bit what you're looking at, like how many unique people are using it every day or every week or how many people use it to solve a personal pain point or how, many, how much total time and listening is being used. Probably the most popular piece of content is just the things that are the daily habits. So uh, those are either like a daily gospel, a daily saint, or a daily rosary, something that's just you're hitting every day and, and folks are doing to build these deep habits of prayer. So that's probably the number one thing. But the uh, sleep stuff is super popular when, when folks, we have these super peaceful Bible stories that folks read when they have difficulty uh, falling asleep or at night to close their day. And those are super popular at night with like a night prayer, which is a, it's called liturgy hours, which folks do every day. Music in terms of time on the app is probably the most, the most popular just because it's folks are listening through it throughout the day, just peaceful Gregorian chant or nature sounds or whatever it is, or church bells or anything, the, uh, or really awesome contemporary music. But 
but stuff that folks just listen to through the day to try to bring a little bit of prayer in, into their every moments. And then the Bible stuff, like for long-term challenges are actually pretty popular when we launch those. And so those hop up to the top whenever they're launched. And that kind of goes along. We try to do things as a community each month. So like unique, different community challenges. And so whenever those, one of those launch, which, you know, could be a novena or like, Hey, we're going to try to get to a holy hour this month or like pray for 30 minutes or something, which can seem intimidating at the beginning, but start at three minutes and then work your way up or any of those, any of those types of through Lent, which is the uh, season leading up to Easter is usually a super popular piece of content. Um, so those are, but the daily things are probably in terms of the, the most number of people that the folks just building daily habits through the app, which is, you know, we get super jazzed about is what we're trying to do different every day, updated every day. And, and folks love it. The, uh, and then we're trying to build a lot more new content, language content, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the future, Spanish content and continuing to try to serve as many folks as we can. And it sounds like you have um, a level of buy-in almost from the church. You have priests and bishops on the app. Was that a partnership you both really looked to grow from the very beginning? And I guess, how has that partnership evolved with the church over time? Yeah, the church has been super great to work with. The From the very beginning, it you know, what the church had changed our own lives. And so it's, you know, our, our goal is just to be a and from a mission perspective, is just to be a tool for the church's mission. So just to try to help the church in, in as many ways as we can. I think there's a lot of ways that that this type of leading with spirituality can help the church and in, in her mission. I, there's a bunch of startups and apps that are, you know, hey, we're going to replace religion or we're going to start a new religion or any of that stuff. Ours is not that at all. It's just, hey, this uh, Catholic faith, this this uh, Christian spirituality dating back a 1,500 years changed our own lives. And, and our goal is just to try to help out in this mission as, as much as we possibly can. The in terms of so we've prioritized that from the very beginning from content which we root in just things that are a thousand years old we're not inventing anything new and then we have a, a good number of partners and advisors we have a advisory board now Bishop Kevin Rhodes who used to lead kind of the U.S. Catholic world on doctrine is one of our closest advisors and then we then we work with a lot of great folks within the faith world who you know we try to bring on to give folks a flavor for the diversity and the the amazing leadership that we have within the church in terms of different folks that they can discover or hear little sunday sermons from or any of that jazz so we've been super blessed to be able to continue to grow those partnerships over time so there's a lot of we partner with the church in a hundred different ways and they've just been they've been super easy to work with and, and it's been phenomenal to be able to to help them hopefully uh, a, a little bit with kind of the broader mission of, of what they're working on. And I'm curious too, you guys are not not for profit. So I'm curious about the revenue model and Alessandro or Alex, either one of you, if you want to take this, but that decision when it came time to monetize this product, how did you guys go with, about thinking about a revenue model? Did you always know you wanted to be a subscription service? Did you think about advertising? How did you sort of make that decision? I think there's two, I'll maybe do a little bit of the framing and Sandra, you can jump in with any of the stuff that I missed, but there's two different big questions there. I think the one is, how are you going to structure yourself as a legal entity, which is, our te we're technically a public benefit corporation, The uh, which I can get into. There's a blog we wrote about it and all that jazz, but um, was a lot of prayer, a lot of discernment, talking to a lot of spiritual advisors about that question. And then the other question is, how do you support the, the venture? Regardless of whether it's a not-for-profit or a for-profit, you got to if somebody's going to work on this, you got to uh, have a way to sustain it somehow. And so that's either, you know, a, a relatively constant ping for donations, a selling data for advertising or a subscription model similar to, to Headspace and Calm. And for us, what we liked a lot about the subscription model 
was a it allowed us so it's a freemium it's freemium content so you can download the app uh there's a bunch of content available for free from a mission perspective we want to make sure that if you can't afford a subscription there's still enough content there to grow very deep in your life forever so we give there's a generous hopefully especially relative to any of the other apps amount of content there for free and then you can choose to start a subscription which unlocks the rest of the content and that even that comes with a free trial. So you can cancel that at any point. Right now it's a 14 day free trial. You can cancel that at any point during the 14 days if you don't, if it's not worth it. It's a priced about 20% cheaper than the um, the secular meditation apps. It's nine bucks a month or 59.99 a year, 60, 60 bucks a year. But what we liked about that was that it was a very clear, transparent way to communicate, hey, this is a paid product. It holds us to a much higher standard of, hey, we're trying to create a premium product that we're asking people to pay for. We're not giving this away for free. So the attention to detail just internally goes way up versus, hey, we're giving this away for free. And it allows us to just ask it once and then not bother you again. So we at, right at the beginning, you download the app. Hey, this is a subscription product. There's these different types of options. You can choose whatever you want and start with it. You can upgrade whenever you want or, or cancel whenever you want. But we're not going to ping you 100 times either asking for either showing you ads, which would be a crazy thing to do in the middle of a meditation app, or, or pinging you to upgrade or pinging you to donate. We just want the, the money conversation once and then for the whole rest of the time to be focused on a place of peace. So that was kind of the idea on, on how we fund it. But again, that has nothing to do, you know, you could have a subscription app that's a for-profit or non-for-profit or whatever it is. The for-profit, non-for-profit decision really a lot more came down to, you know, we really wanted to build a really phenomenal team. And we've seen a lot of religious tech that has been built that maybe was solid at the time, but then just wasn't held to the constant improvement standards. And then you end up getting to the point today where you look at a bunch of the religious tech that's available and you compare it to Netflix or Amazon and it just doesn't, it doesn't hold up. And so, you know, my little sister or somebody in college will down, will look at the app and just say, I'm not going to download it. It doesn't look like it's a good app. And it's a, it's a shame because there's beautiful content on there. And so for us, we really wanted to create a super high quality app. And to do that, we had to get a really great team of engineers from places like Facebook, Google, and Groupon in Chicago, and all these phenomenal development places in, in the world, and awesome marketing leaders and all these folks to be able to build something truly great. To do that, the startup model, we actually think works really well, which is, hey, this is a risky venture. We got to raise investment to make it work. And you get a little owner, everybody who joins the team gets ownership in the company. And we try to make it, we try to make it work in startup and it could economically work out for all of us and be great. And we're, we'll all be, obviously for me personally, it's the church's product. So incredibly generous with anything, any value that's created from, from the church. But as a team, we all get to kind of share in that super risky thing it could be worth something and could not be worth something. And I think that startup idea of getting folks to work on something that could end up creating value is something that's exciting. And, and that was kind of the difference between versus, you know, me spending half my time going out and trying to fundraise from donors is, is kind of the big question there when you think about the non-for-profit versus for-profit thing. But all that being said, the mission, the, the thing that we keep really core is the mission always has to come first. And that's why we're a public benefit corporation, which means that in our legal charter, most for-profits just have increased create shareholder value. And ours says create shareholder value and help people grow closer to God. We try to take it very seriously that our social mission and our uh, the, the mission of helping people grow in their faith lives come, comes first. First off, thank you for distilling that because that was something, that's a distinction that I just never really understood. And so that's actually extremely helpful. I think people, I just had a... Uh, we just had our first lawyer on the show on uh, on Wednesday, so I really wish I uh, in the future I might have, when I have him back on, we're, we might dive into that topic a little bit further. I'm curious about the fundraising process for you. 
what were there challenges in sort of selling this as something that was venture backable? How did that sort of process go? And if there were challenges, what were they? Yeah, it's a super fascinating question. Again, the whole fundraising decision was something we prayed about, talked about to a bunch of our advisors, whether or not it would make sense for us. You know, we're trying to build a, a sustainable, um, efficient business that can support itself. Uh, so not something that's, you know, like any of the big high flying startups that have to run out of money every 18 months and go fundraise a lot more money. So uh, we wanted to build something efficient, but at the same time, we wanted to reach really high goals, reach change the world is definitely the the aspiration there and to do something, create a product that's really is truly world-class and create, there's a ton of content we still have yet to create and try to reach folks, just like I said earlier, folks like me who are a lot more expensive to reach. You have to find a lot more creative ways and the marketing is more expensive and all that jazz to reach folks who have fallen away from their faith. So uh, that's what got us excited about deciding to go down the fundraising path. And, you know, it was really important for us to find somebody who was super, who got the mission, who could really stand behind what we were trying to do and also was a world-class investor. So that, that's kind of the, the, um, the combination of things we were trying to do. It's a funny, it's a funny experience because it's, you know, everybody in Silicon, and I'll, I'll use Silicon Valley generally to describe the VC world, but everybody in Silicon Valley wants a contrarian idea. And the nice part about this idea is that it is contrarian in Silicon Valley, New York and parts of Chicago, but not in the rest of the world. You know, if you go to the rest of the world and you say, Hey, or, you know, the middle of the country or uh, Latin America or anything, you say, Hey, do you want a meditation app? They'll say, what's a meditation app? And you say, Hey, do you want a prayer app? And they'll be like, of course I need a prayer app. <laughs> and so the, I think that the fun part for us was, Hey, I think we have this, uh, I wouldn't call it an insight, but that the, we see this kind of need, which I don't think you can really see from within the bubble of Silicon Valley or from within the bubble of venture capital. And it's really hard to relate to if, you haven't had a personal experience if you don't know how seriously folks take this. And it really has to be like somebody in your family or a close friend or somebody it has to, because it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around somebody who would dedicate their entire lives to this whole faith thing. And it is, it's the truth. It's what people, you know, what I value over everything. And so, that, I mean, it was fun. There was definitely a bunch of people who couldn't get it and a bunch of people who got really excited about it. What you ended up having to find was somebody who could either kind of get behind the contrarian idea, would talk to enough people and get a sense for it, had some type of personal experience either in their own life or in somebody's life who they were close to, who they could get the need that, that we we're trying to address. And we ended up with a handful of folks who were, were super awesome, who were super excited to to get to partner with. But yeah, it's fun. It's it's My favorite part is it's, I'm sure the, the pitch conversations are not usually you know, hey, what's the vision for how, I don't know, as many people in heaven as we can. That would be a pretty cool vision. Those are not normally the or like, what's the next big strategy decision? We'll pray about it and see what see what happens. Those are, you know, it's kind of a fun, um, super mission driven. So we've got a lot of really awesome benefits, but it, it was definitely a fun and some definitely awkward conversations in the Valley, but definitely fun. Yeah, the other thing I would add is we, you know, like thought through the entire big picture question of whether it should go down this path, because once you get on the VC path, you know, it puts you on a certain trajectory. As first time founders, if we were hopeful, we could find people that had invested and helped scale world-class consumer subscription businesses, making the transition from domestic to international businesses. And uh, we were lucky enough to, to be able to attract people that fit that description. I think we found the mission of the business and all of our users have benefited from having those perspectives around the table, not just us as some guys that had some transformative prayer experiences. I would love to look out now to 2021 and just curious about what you both see as the next phase of growth, the next phase of growth for Halo as we uh, as we move through 2021. So thinking about 2021 as an extension and coming out of 2020, you know, the pandemic was a really 
challenging thing for the world in a lot of ways. It was particularly challenging for people who are experiencing extreme stress and whose interaction with their faith and spirituality was significantly disrupted. Uh, you had a lot of churches with their doors closed, many who didn't were very much actively trying to figure out live streaming in a way that was not super seamless. And so uh, I think we really tried to think about how do we, again, meeting people where they were at that time to help really just support them and what they were going through. And we did a bunch of stuff like, you know, giving Halo Plus to free for emergency workers, first responders, et cetera, et cetera, but also develop content that and functionality that helped meet the need of those people. So that was introducing communities of, of prayer in the app, so allowing people to connect with one another and do that. That technology is very extensible to what I'll talk about in a second. Um, and then content was more theological, but like at-home spiritual retreat, right? Turn social distancing into a spiritual retreat, prayers for spiritual communion and other things. So I think we, I think we talked about in, in the latest round, you know, End of 2020 versus the beginning of 2020, there were seven times more people praying in the app, which was just really awesome from a mission perspective. As we think about going forward, the core orientation around Roadmap is the same, right? It's how do we help more people pray through more stuff? The big buckets of those things are people that don't speak English. That, that's, a, that's an obvious one. We have a bunch of great Spanish language content now, moving more for that to be more representative of the entire app and then thinking globally as opposed to just domestically. Obviously, that's a, that's a big piece. As we think about types of people to help reach, one of the things we've seen emerge over the pandemic is you know, obviously the focus on mental health has continued to increase. And I think nowhere has that been felt more than in education and with young people. And so helping support things like Catholic schools, private schools, religious education, kind of approach mental health in a way that's consistent with and very much has a symbiotic relationship with spiritual health. And so kind of meeting the need for, for those organizations and then continuing to build out the, as we have more content, we run and start running into the paradox of choice problem, right? And so getting better at knowing you coming in day one, who are you, what do you need and what should your content be? And so kind of the functionality side, Alex, what I miss. Not yet on at all. I mean, it's, it's a relatively easy, we try to, the mission is we try to reach more people and we try to help them grow as close to God as possible. And that translates pretty, which is another reason why I love the subscription model is it translates pretty perfectly to the business model, which is our goal is growth and retention and versus ads where we're trying to, you know, keep people on for longer, gather more data or any of that jazz. We're not trying to do any of that. We just want to provide value and, and continue to reach more folks. And so that's adding more content, building out the product and community functionality and ways for folks to connect and ways for folks to build habits and routines and then growth international, partnering with parishes and schools and reaching out to more folks in different ways. So uh, I think you hit on all those, but it's a relatively, definitely not easy, but straightforward thing on the things we have to have to do correctly. And in our remaining time, I would love if we could chat a little bit about the Chicago community, the Chicago startup ecosystem. Alex, as you mentioned, you spent time in Silicon Valley. Alessandro, you know, you spent time in New York. Would love to hear your thoughts on founding a company in Chicago. I know it's been mostly during COVID, so obviously that's a, that's a challenge in and of itself, but any sort of overall thoughts or prognosis for the Chicago startup ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, uh, we love Chicago, except in the winter. So definitely uh, Palo Alto, Menlo Park win, uh, win on that front. But I mean, to your point, so we, we I was in the Bay Area for, I've been in Chicago now for, what is it, Alessandro, maybe eight, 10 months or so, but it's pretty much all been in COVID. So we've been remote. We have a little office, but you know, we, we don't work from it. We got to get a, a, a different one here soon. So the it's, it's been pretty much remote. So not, not a ton has changed other than the weather for the last, you know, six to 12 months. But I do think there's, 
you know, and frankly, we, we a, a bunch of us moved to Chicago just because it's a lot closer to a lot of our families and is a, is a lot nicer. We just have a nexus of folks who ended up 10 folks working on the on the app when we decided where we're going to be. And it's a, it's a lot closer for us and most of our folks to be in the Chicago area. The, uh, but I mean, when, when we think about building a company here, I think there's a handful of things that get us pretty excited, you know, hiring, there's not as many engineers as there would be in like a Silicon Valley world or developers or the tech specific stuff. There's a ton of content stuff though, which gets us really excited. And when we think about you know, great folks and great partnerships for us to have in terms of recruiting. Notre Dame is obviously one which feeds a lot into Chicago. So that's a big one. There's a bunch of really great Chicago schools. And I think in talking to a bunch of Chicago folks, it might be a little bit harder to hire some tech folks in Chicago, but it's a lot easier to retain them. You, you don't lose an engineer every six months and then uh, have to uh, fight over Facebook and Google to find another one. Um, that being said, we've been super, we're going to have to do a hybrid model. So We'll have roughly half the team in Chicago and half the team remote. And so we'll have to figure out the hybrid model like everybody else and do that really effectively. But we're trying to attract the best talent across the world, regardless of where you live. And so, you know, that necessitates being able to be flexible while still encouraging folks to be in Chicago and in person. But it's the, I think for us, the, the, the last thing that I'd hit on is there are just a lot of really great relationships and it's a little bit of a smaller startup ecosystem, but I think still a great one. There's, you know, Stephen from Cameo has been super helpful and the whole Cameo team has been awesome to have in Chicago and, and their awesome success. So, so that's been huge. There's a handful of folks. Jim Perry is a awesome person in, in the faith world who has helped us a lot, who's here in Chicago, obviously all of Notre Dame. There's a bunch of Bishop Rhodes is out of Indiana, Fort Wayne, South Bend, Indiana. And so there's a bunch of folks in this nearby area that have been, that have been super helpful. So we love it. I mean, it's, you still have to, it's still a global, it's still a uh, remote thing We you have to fundraise in New York and Silicon Valley and now Miami and Chicago. And so you, you have all those conversations all the time anyway, actually fundraising, I joked was a good bit easier because you don't have to figure out travel all the time. You just hop on another Zoom. It makes it a little bit more tiring, but... Makes podcasting a lot easier too. Yeah, I guess. definitely. Definitely makes podcasting easier, I would imagine. But but so yeah, and, and there's something we just... I mean, you got to love the Midwest. You know, you got people friendly, real character. You got to you gotta love the... There's something about the Midwest that... that and the, the winters put a little bit of... Give a little bit of grit to everybody. So it's all fun. But, but yeah, I mean, so we love Chicago. We're still super new. So still learning a ton of stuff about it and the broader ecosystem, but are, are excited to be here. I don't know, Alessandro, if you would add, had anything about the Chicago specific stuff to that. Yeah, I would just, this is half a jab at VC world, but uh, in terms of founders and, and fundraising, I think it's been really exciting to see the amount of capital being raised outside of the coasts and focused on, you know, investing in areas that are not those coasts. Definitely felt some experience of the non-coastal investors giving a pitch of, well, we're going to drive value by not paying coastal prices. So I think as a founder, something to be ready for that, the headline numbers and valuations you see coming out of the coasts may not be within the appetite of non-coastal investors, but that's part of the fun of negotiating. And so we definitely encourage founders to take a broad geographic approach to garnering investment interest. I think the last thing that I'd say is the, um, it's, it, it, it's been interesting to see whenever we talk to folks in the Valley, uh, especially seed folks, the stories that almost everybody tells are that like 10, 15 years ago, they used to say, Hey, it's still like 20 years ago, you had to be in the Valley. That's where you build startups. Like 10 years ago, it still probably made the most sense for you to be in the Valley to build a startup. And this is not me. This is most of the folks that I talked to. And, and they said, you know, as of today, it really doesn't, you know, you can build a really great startup anywhere. And uh, especially with the ability, especially accelerated by COVID and all that jazz, but there's a lot of really awesome markets, Chicago being one, obviously Miami now, and, and a bunch of really awesome, uh, Austin, a bunch of really awesome places to build a business and the ability to 
work remotely and in, in, in a distributed way is uh, so much easier now. So the uh, so I do think there's that shift is con- we're continuing to see that and you know are excited to be in Chicago for the time being. Alex, Alessandro, this has been amazing. I want to thank you both so much for joining me. If people want to find Halo, I imagine it's on both the App Store and the Android Store. And uh, if people want to find both of you and just follow more of Halo's journey, where can they go? Uh, yeah, just follow us. The Halo app is the H-A-L-L-O-W-A-P-P on any of the social medias is the best place to go. The uh, And then, yeah, you can just type in Halo, H-A-L-L-O-W into the App Store and, and follow along. That's the, that's the best way to follow along. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. Cool. Thanks, man. If you are a founder seeking venture capital investment at the pre-seed through Series A stage, check out Manifold Group. We're a venture holding company based in Chicago with offices in Dallas, Los Angeles, and soon Atlantic Canada. We believe early stage private investments represent an excellent investment opportunity, but existing investment models in the space leave much to be desired. Manifold is a new model for growth in the new economy designed to create and capture value at the early stage through synergies across its venture fund, incubation and acceleration studio, and advisory firm. Learn more about Manifold at www.manifold.group. And please tune in for the next Chicago Capital episode.